So the eternal life, or the word of life, here I think is being described as the one who existed with God for all eternity. Now John turns and kind of says basically what's happened, or what eventually happened to the word of life. Look in John chapter 1 verse 2. He says the life was what? Was made manifest. And we have seen it and testified to and proclaimed to you what? The eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So what happened to the word of life? It was eventually manifested in the person Jesus, the Christ. The word of life existed for all eternity. Jesus, then he became the person Jesus Christ in the flesh. Now think about that. So when we think of the incarnation, I don't know for you, if it does for you, but for me, that brings a whole lot more meaning when I think of the word of life, eternal life, the life. That's how John refers to him. Not just, oh, this is the second person in the Trinity. I mean, that's, a, that's enough in and of itself, right? But he calls him the life, and he existed for all of eternity. And this life, this eternal life, the word of life, came, was manifested in the person, Jesus Christ. This life, he says, would made manifest to us. John, I think, is going to great lengths to show us the incarnation at this point in the passage. This is crucial for him. This is half the reason why he's writing this book. I mean, well, it, it, one of the main reasons he's writing that they'd be assured of their faith. And how they would be assured of their faith is by belief in right doctrine, particularly the right doctrine of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, both his humanity and his divinity. But the question I have to ask is at this point is what does John mean when he says that it was manifest to us? I think what John's point there is that Jesus was indeed human. That he was indeed a man. Not just figuratively speaking, not just a, a visible representation of a man, but no, he was a man. So we start off by saying there's kind of like four relative clauses here describing the word of life. The first one, the first clause was in the beginning, right? And that described, I believe, his divinity. The second clause we see here in 1 John, let's read verse John back to verse 1. He says, that which was from the beginning, he says, which we have heard. That's clause number 2, which we have heard. According to the context, John is implying that he heard firsthand from Jesus himself the proclamation of Jesus. We have heard him from his mouth about him. We heard him. Now, now I just want you to just pause for just a moment. Think about that just for a second. The word of life existed with God for all of eternity. He comes in the person of Jesus Christ. And John says, we heard him. In his manifestation, we heard him. And I wonder, do we long to hear him? Right? Do we long to hear him? Do you long for him to speak to you? John says we heard him. 
Now, I think even in our day, like, we can hear Him, right? We can hear Him through His Word. Then we can hear Him as the Holy Spirit speaks to us. But I, but I, I have to admit, I'm jealous of John. Like, he was standing in front of him, and John says, we heard him. And I think that there will be a day when we stand in front of Jesus, and we will hear him face to face, right? But for now, he's given us the comforter, he's given us the Holy Spirit, he's given us his word. Do we long to hear from him? The second phrase, or third phrase, rather, describing the word of life is... Going on in verse 1, he says, That which from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. Again, we have seen with our eyes the word of life, right? Existed for all of eternity with God. And John says, guess what? That which has never been seen before, we saw him. We saw him with our eyes. That which Moses could not gaze upon, we saw him with our eyes. If you look at some of the Greek language here, the verb tense here is perfect. And I think what John is saying is he's proclaiming his literal eyewitness account. He's saying that we saw him. It was past tense, we saw him. We were an eyewitness to him. Fourth phrase, he says, which we have looked at. So which we have looked at. Wasn't he just saying the same thing again? What's interesting is he uses a different verb tense at this point. He uses what's called the aorist. And don't ask me to explain all of this, but, but John is simply, I think, narrating the physical scene itself. So the first is he's, he's proclaiming his eyewitness. The secondly, he is just simply saying, look, we saw him physically. He was there. He's kind of narrating the experience versus saying the point here is more I was the eyewitness, and now he's narrating that we, we indeed saw him. We saw him. We saw the word of life. We were, he was physically there. Now, I want us to think about this for a moment. Because uh, the... the the danger, particularly as we work through 1 John, as we've been going through Luke, we've been flying at a real high altitude. But the danger as we go through 1 John is that if we, if we float too low to the text, we can miss some of the bigger pieces here. So I want to make sure we're careful with that. Understand what John is saying at this point. He's saying that the eternal Son of God, the second person in the Trinity, the one who created the world, the one who led God's people for thousands of years, the one who lived in perfect unity with the Father, the one from, e from whom eternal life finds its origin, the one who is eternal life himself, the one who is light and in him no darkness is found, the one who is the essence of justice, mercy, love, selflessness, and grace. This life, this life was made manifest to us. We saw him with our eyes. We touched him. We heard him with our ears. He was there. This one from whom the Old Testament spoke of in great magnitude and delight, he was in front of our faces. He was in our presence. He sat in the room with us. We heard him. We touched him. 
We saw the Son. I mean, understand what John's saying. We saw the Son of God. We touched the second person in the Trinity. Think about that. We touched the second person in the Trinity. We heard the voice of God, the one who called to Adam in the garden. Think about that. Genesis. He calls out to Adam, where are you? This is who we heard. The one who spoke to Moses in the burning bush. John is saying, we have heard from him. We walked with him. The one who told Noah to build the ark. The one who sent the rain and parted the waters. We heard from him. He was in front of our eyes. John is saying, we gazed upon justice and mercy himself. He says, we were loved by love itself. And we were graced by grace itself. Guys, don't miss it. John is saying eternal life has come. He is here. The word of life that existed for all of eternity came to earth to be seen by his would-be people. The people he would come to gather for himself, he came to be seen. So John is saying, we were eyewitnesses to this incarnation. And as eyewitnesses to such an event, this, guys, this one-time event, he says, we cannot help but be changed by this. That's when he starts talking about this idea of fellowship. The presence of God has changed us. The truth has changed us. The word of life is now inside of us. And Christian, I, I want to ask you this question. How have you been changed this past week by walking with the word of life? Notice I didn't say, how were you changed 15 years ago in VBS? But how are you changed this past week? By the word of life and as you walked with him, as you saw him, as you heard from him. How have you been transformed this past week? Non-Christian or those who are maybe don't know if they follow Christ or not. I, I suppose you can see change in your life this past week. But what was the motivation? Was it a better life? Maybe to earn a relationship with God? Is this, that's not salvation. Salvation is the word of life working change in your life for the purpose of His glory. Now Christian, John says, we now must proclaim the truth to you, my dear friends, in this church in the city of Ephesus. So he says, because we have seen Him I just don't want you to miss that, John. Because we have seen him, because we have heard from him, because we have touched him, we now proclaim him to you. And I have to pause for just a moment and say, I wonder if that's why we don't proclaim him. It's because we haven't seen him. We haven't heard from him. So John says, look, we've seen him. And now we proclaim Him to you. So the second thing we see is that the Word of life in us will certainly transform us. The Word of life in us will certainly transform us. 
It's not an option. It's not a, well, if you believe in Jesus and you've been redeemed, there's most likely a chance that something will happen good. No, it's a necessity. The word of life in us will certainly transform us. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, read with me. It says, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. I want to take a few moments here to talk about this idea of fellowship that John talks about here. So at the church in Ephesus, we've talked about this last week, about how there were people denying the incarnation of Jesus. And what they were doing, they were denying this because their belief essentially was that all material was evil. Anything physical, material was evil. The only thing good is that which is spiritual. So if God took on flesh, He would then be taking on evil. And that wouldn't be good, right? Because He's supposed to be all holy and righteous and so on and so forth. So in that, they deny the incarnation. And John is saying that in order to have this fellowship, or I'm sorry, what was going on is they were removing themselves, rather, from these people who believed or were denying the incarnation, were removing themselves from fellowship with the body. Because they can't have fellowship if we don't agree on something, even uh, something so, not basic, but something so important as the incarnation. And what was happening is they were trying to get the people I mean, anybody who has a belief and has a conviction, they're going to try and get people to follow them. And so in response, John says, he's first of all declaring the incarnation of Jesus, and then he's calling the Ephesians into rightful relationship with him and subsequently with God. He says, indeed, or I'd say, indeed, fellowship with John is fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. If you look at the passage... He says, that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with who? The Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So in the sentence, I I want to kind of show you two things here. First of all, there's the priority of the Father. I don't think, John doesn't just throw words together for the heck of it, okay? I think these are important. His sentence structure is crucial. He says, that you may too have fellowship with us, and indeed, he says what? Our fellowship is with the father so there's a priority there of the father and with his son jesus and we have to understand that john calling jesus the christ is referring to the work of jesus so i think john when he's talking about fellowship here with the father there's two things going on one the priority of the father two the word christ indicates the work of the son i think john is saying that we have fellowship together Two things, the Father and then the work of Jesus. These are two important pieces for us. So I think the sense of the sentence at this point, if you follow me here, is that fellowship with John means fellowship with God through the Son because of the incarnation and fellowship in the work of God, Jesus the Christ, and what God is doing. Hence the proclaiming that John is doing at this point. So it's fellowship with God through the Son, the Incarnation, fellowship with God by participating in the work of God. Hence the proclaiming of the passage. So I think basically what John is saying is this. Our fellowship here is based upon two things. One, common doctrine, values, 
theology goals, hence the incarnation. John's concern is that they believe the same, that they have right doctrine, that if we're going to fellowship, it's based upon having right doctrine and be having the same right doctrine. And if we're going to fellowship together, it's going to be based upon us doing and partnering with the work of God that He began in His Son, Jesus Christ. Or that He continued, rather, in His Son, Jesus Christ. Hence the proclaiming the truth. So as we continue to look at fellowship on the horizontal and the vertical, we need to ask the question, how do I know that I know God? If this is John's overarching purpose in First John, how do I know that I know God? I think one of the ways that we know that we know God is this, from this passage, is we will have fellowship with the Father through the Incarnation. How do we know that we know God? We will have fellowship with the Father through the Incarnation. Right? Fellowship with the Father, I'll say this before we even I'll let a little bit of the cat out of the bag, fellowship with the Father has never been fellowship by our means and by our terms. It has always been by God's means and God's terms. So we have fellowship with the Father through the Incarnation. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And as he's talking about in the context here, remember, he's saying we, seen him, we saw Him, we heard Him, He was with us. And by the way, he's the Son of God, Jesus Christ. So John is proclaiming to them the incarnation. And through this proclamation, he says, we will have fellowship with the Father. <coughs> now, the fellowship here that John's talking about, though, is more than hanging out together, having a potluck getting food or having an event where we can have idle chatter. Right, so a lot of churches will get together to watch the Super Bowl tonight with a bunch of idle chatter, and we'll call that fellowship. But fellowship is centered around something so much deeper than just we all like to watch football. Uh, and it's certainly something we can enjoy together. I'm going to enjoy watching the Super Bowl tonight. But, fellowship here is something so much more important, something so much deeper than just getting together as we tend to call in our churches today. It's a fellowship that transcends the boundaries of this sin-enslaved and temporal world. Fellowship is a, is a relating and a commuting together that goes beyond what we are able to create ourselves. It's something that only God can create. And John says our fellowship here is going to be through the incarnation. It's a fellowship, guys. The fellowship that he's talking about here is that something that shares something significant in common. That's why John says it's through the incarnation. A, a fellowship, this kind of fellowship is a fellowship where you care about the same things where you enjoy the same things, where you delight in the same truth, if you will. Guys, it's the kind of delight that I have in serving together with 
with our other elder, Rusty. Where we have a, we have a fellowship that transcends anything that we could create because it's through the incarnation of Jesus Christ. It's a unity of goal and mission and purpose. It's also the delight I have in walking with my wife in marriage. We have a fellowship that, that is a unity of purpose, a unity of doctrine, a unity of mission. And John is saying, if you are to have fellowship with me, it will be through God's terms, and God says that the incarnation has made this possible. Right doctrine is necessary for us to have good biblical fellowship. For us to have fellowship with the Father, guys, understand it means we have to have the same desires as the Father. We must care about the same things, we must be working towards the same goals, we must endure whatever lies ahead. Guys, I've asked this question. What does your fellowship with the Father look like? What does your fellowship with the Father look like? Is it based upon your preferences? I think this is where we get in trouble. Maybe you fellowship with the Father when you only have, or only when you have a need. Or do you do you fellowship with the Father just when it's convenient? When it fits your schedule or fits your agenda? Or do you fellowship with the Father only when life gets tough? Or maybe you fellowship with the Father when you need control, when life's not going the way you want it to go. And so now I'm going to start fellowshipping with the Father to hopefully ensure that everything turns out the way I want it to turn out. Maybe you fellowship with the Father only when you need comfort. You see, I think the problem here is we're trying to force God to fellowship with us centered around our mission instead of centered around His mission on our terms versus on God's terms. And it's always been about God's terms. And John is saying, if we're going to have fellowship together, it's going to be on God's terms. It's going to be through the Incarnation. So instead, fellowship, instead of fellowship with God on our terms, instead, fellowship with God on His terms, particularly through Christ, or through Jesus, rather. Through Jesus. Again, many of us try to have a relationship with God or have fellowship with God based upon our own merit. So, if you don't know whether you're a follower of Christ or not, have you ever said this question or said this statement? Well, I'm a pretty good person. God will let me into heaven. I, I, I think so. I think so. Or if you are a follower of Christ, have you ever said, well, I must be doing something right to be receiving all of these blessings. I must be doing something right. When I, when I went in, I shared a story yesterday about getting new glasses and found out that my insurance was still active, which is awesome. It ended up saving me like a couple hundred dollars. And I was just sharing some of these blessings with, the, um, with one of the ladies there as she was putting that, you know, that when they puff that eye, that air in your eyeball, and it's like scares you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, poof, right? Uh, <laughs> well, like you know it's common, but it still like startles you. <laughs> you know, you feel like a, 
like an infant or something. <laughs> Uh, anyways, as I'm sharing this with her about some of the blessings of God, and, and, she, uh, and she goes, well, you must be doing something, right? And I'm like, oh, I wish I had five more minutes of your time, uh, because I have not done anything right to deserve these blessings. He's done everything right to deserve those blessings, but he's given them to me. Um, and... Uh, But have we ever said, I must be doing something right? Um, Guys, when we attempt to fellowship with God through our own terms, understand there can be no assurance of His acceptance of those things. Guys, if if we're trying to fellowship with God based upon our terms, and on our terms, and when we want to, we have to ask the question, what if my sacrifice isn't good enough? What if the good that I've done this past week isn't good enough to get God's ear for me? What if I haven't done enough to earn His favor? We have to ask those questions. You cannot walk around with any kind of assurance. It's always, oh, I don't know. That's where you have to walk. Instead, guys, there is a joy that comes from fellowshipping with God through His provision. And I just want to remind us, even if we've been Christians for a long time, there is joy in walking with God based upon and through His provision. Guys, the righteous earning and wrath-absorbing incarnation of the Word of Life is God's provision that we might walk in fellowship with Him. That is a provision that only God could create. Now when you fellowship with God, you can trust that His provision is always and eternally satisfactory to God's desires. He made it. He made the way. And we trust that way. So my encouragement to you, I think John would be saying to us, stop trying to fellowship with God on your own terms. Fellowship with God based on His terms. So the second part of fellowship with God on His terms, I would encourage us through prayer, Scripture, and the body. I'm going to venture outside of 1 John here for a few seconds. I think these are implied, and it's certainly a part of the grander part of, the, of the, the text here. But fellowship with God on His terms through prayer, Scripture, and the body. So often we find ourselves trying to fellowship with God through means other than the ones that He has provided. Let me give you an example. There's a movie coming out uh, based upon the book um, about the little dude who goes to heaven. I can't remember the name of the book. Heaven is real, right? Um, and some of you read the article that I shared from someone else on, on uh, why I have no intention of seeing that movie. Um, the danger for us is that I think we, we begin to elevate these supposed supernatural experiences above the Word of God as validation for what the Word of God tells us in the first place. So what I mean by that is, the Word of God tells us heaven is real, but for some of us, it's more real because we heard some little five-year-old story than it is because the Word of God said it. And that's a dangerous place to be. You're trying to fellowship with God through a means by which He has not meant for you to fellowship with God. You're creating an avenue to try and fellowship with God. So God, I'm going to fellowship with you around the joy that heaven is real. And thank God you gave me the testimony of this five-year-old to confirm that. Wow. 
think we have to be careful. When we want to fellowship with God, guys, and honest, understand trust is a factor, but, we, but we, we don't just get to trust in what we deem is worthy to trust. God's word says it. We trust him and his word. That doesn't mean that God can't affirm and, and, and work miracles in our lives that, that bring you know, assurance when we read the word of God, but, but when those experiences become the, the main source of, of validation versus the fact that he said it, that's a problem. We're trying to fellowship with God on our terms, not through His terms. Another example is we want to fellowship with God at church events and maybe the couple times a week that we read our Bible. To the contrary, God wants to fellowship with us 24-7. You say, well, part of that's going to be sleeping. How am I fellowshipping with God? Sleep to the glory of God. Seriously. God's created you to rest. You pharmacy students... He has created you to, 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 to enjoy rest in Him. And of course, ultimately, our lack of being able to find perfect rest here is just indicative that this world is broken and we will find rest ultimately in Him. But uh, God wants to fellowship with us 24-7. How awesome is that, though, right? Let's talk about maybe three ways God has provided ways for us to fellowship with Him. One is certainly through prayer. God has provided prayer as a sweet means to fellowship with Him. As a prayer life that doesn't cease, right? We all know that passage. A prayer life that doesn't require always closing your eyes. And I would ask you, I would encourage you to ask God to give you a heart that is always bent towards what is your will? What is your will? Today, tomorrow. I hate those stupid bracelets, WWJD, right? But there is a good point there. But it's not just, what would Jesus do so that I can earn my righteousness? It's, what would Jesus think? What would Jesus feel? How would he respond to this? What's his desire for my life? Second way is God has provided scripture as a word from God. Guys, if this was the only thing that you ever heard from God, it would be sufficient for a life of godliness and holiness. We don't need any more words from God. We have it. And so I know some of you guys, in your persevering through your faith, you're like, oh, I, just, I just need to hear from God. Look, go read it. You'll hear from God. Read it. He spoke it. I'm not denying God engaging our affections. And I'm not, I'm not saying that that's wrong or that we shouldn't desire that. We certainly should. But I think often we mistake, we want our experience to happen a certain way. And God hasn't guaranteed it to happen that way. He hasn't guaranteed to, to give us a word every night when we sit down to read His Bible. He's not guaranteed us that we're going to walk away feeling all bubbly inside when we leave the text. He's not guaranteed that. But He's guaranteed that He has revealed Himself to us. And that if we approach the text humbly, He will speak to us. Guys, back in Luke, how did Jesus, when He was teaching the disciples all things concerning Himself, how did He do that? 
Did he go, oh, just think of all these experiences you all have had with me. Now, he's the one that could have said that, right? He could have said, I was living it in front of your eyes. No, what did he do? He went to the scriptures and said, let me teach you concerning myself. So even him, who was living the word, the word, the eternal life in front of their faces, even him, he goes to the scriptures to say, look, this is where God spoke to you. These are all the things concerning me. And of course, clearly Christ could say, I and I have spoken to you <laughs> too. But for us, guys, look, let's go to the scriptures. So, thirdly, God has provided the body as a means of fellowshipping with Him. God has provided the body as a means of fellowshipping with Him. John says here that indeed, fellowshipping with Him is fellowshipping with the Father and the Son as well. And my encouragement to us as a body is just once again, if we're not involved with the body beyond church events, then we're not fellowshipping with God and according to the context, you should be uncertain of your salvation. Because it's easy to just come to church events and call that my fellowshipping with my people. Now, I'm not saying that in order to fellowship with God, you have to go get hamburgers with your brother in Christ on Thursday nights. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that if your relationship with the body of Christ simply just means saying hi and bye and stacking a couple chairs on Sunday, then you're missing the point. The point is not checking off the box so that when I've been together, the point is when I have I fellowshiped with them. When have I fellowshiped with the body? Because John says, your fellowship with me is fellowshipping with God. Because our fellowship is with God. Guys, remember, fellowshipping involves an intimacy and a unity of purpose and values. So, just for a moment, we're going to venture away from the text for just a few seconds. Think of the implications of that kind of fellowship. What does that have for our church family? What does that mean for your marriage? What does that mean for your parenting? To have a unity, have a fellowship with your wife when it comes to marriage and fellowshipping with your husband when it comes to parenting and fellowshipping with the body. What does it mean if that kind of fellowship as John is portraying here is based upon a unity of doctrine, a unity of vision, a unity of desires and values? What does that mean? So maybe 10 steps to having a better marriage isn't the way to go. Maybe it's pull out Wayne Grudem and study some doctrine together and walk away going, now we have a unity of doctrine and mission. John says that we obtain fellowship with each other both on the incarnation and secondly on the basis of proclaiming Christ. On the basis of proclaiming Christ. I like what John Piper said in, in a sermon he preached on the same passage. He says this. He says, How come when John wants to bring about fellowship and unity, he gets theological? But when we want to talk about fellowship and unity, we get off-theological. So we try in our day and age, when we want to talk about church unity... We want to get to, uh, this is the question we ask. 
what are the bare minimum beliefs that we have to have so that we can get along? John doesn't ask that question. Paul doesn't ask that question. And Jesus doesn't ask that question. This is our doctrine. This is what we believe. And then our unity comes from that. So John says it's through the incarnation. We also obtain fellowship with each other on the basis of proclaiming Christ. We see that we fellowship with each other when we are unified in doctrine, as I've been saying a hundred times already today. First John 1 through 1, the whole thing, life was made manifest. We see it. We see it that. But the other thing that we see, if you look back at verse 1, the life has been manifest and we've seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was made with the Father and which was, um, which was with the Father and made manifest to us. That's which we have seen and heard. He says what? We proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. Guys, the proclamation here is necessary for the fellowship of the believers. So John's proclamation is necessary if those believers are going to believe rightly and have fellowship with him and fellowship, of course, with God. Why? Guys, remember that these were people who claimed to be followers of Christ. These are not people who were lost. These people had also not yet begun to follow necessarily. We have no indication that they had begun to follow the false teachers who were denying the incarnation. But yet John still feels and sees the necessity to proclaim the incarnation to them. Now, as John thinks about this proclamation, his concern is the unity of what they believe. That they would share the same beliefs. That it's crucial that they be centered on the same doctrine. Um, I want to point out to us that yes, John at this point s- proclaims to them their ex- his experience. Right? He proclaims to him the experience that, that this is what we had. But what was that experience serving the purpose for? validation of the incarnation. Okay, does that make sense? Because for us, the danger in fellowshipping and, uh, and working together as a church is that we want to take our experiences and make that the basis of our unity rather than taking the doctrine and making that the basis of our unity. John, though, is not making his experience the basis of their unity. It's the doctrine he's proclaiming is the basis of their unity, their fellowshipping together. But John, as an apostle, which he serves a unique role that none of us can serve, he's writing the book. He was an eyewitness. He was an apostle. None of us are apostles. We're not writing the Word of God. So he's giving validation to the doctrine that he's proclaiming. So for us, the danger is this, that we would be proclaiming to each other simply our experiences. But instead, I want to encourage us as a body to proclaim doctrine to each other. Now, how are we going to proclaim doctrine to each other? We have to know it. We have to believe it. We have to love it. We have to live it. 
proclaim it in both in word and deed. If I believe that He first loved me, then how am I going to live that out? But how am I going to live out loving each other if I don't know that He first loved me? See the problem? We have to know doctrine. How do I know doctrine? Study the passages that we're working together as a body. Study the rest of the Word of God. Don't limit yourself. But that's at least the first place to start. So the second thing, he says, we fellowship with each other when we are unified in doctrine. He also says we are fellowship with each other while on mission. While on mission. While he's on this mission of proclaiming. And I think the other indication of mission here is when John refers to Jesus Christ. The work of God. What is the work of God? If we understand this in a broader context, it's the restoration of God. It's the bringing forth of His kingdom. We're a part of that mission. So guys, as a church, let's fellowship as we are proclaiming the truth of the gospel. Guys, the temptation will always be, particularly in our culture, will be to grow in the comfort of our knowledge. Well, we know God, right? And that makes us feel good and secure about our faith, but we do nothing with it. Do I know God? Guys, we should be on mission with what we know God. Guys, the process, in the process, the temptation is for us to become lazy. I know God. What am I doing with that? Guys, instead, right, this is what we talk about as a church, our identity and our rhythms. Who we are in Christ necessitates action in the things we do every day. Working as a rhythm. Communicating as a rhythm. How does the fact that I'm a servant, that's my identity in Christ, how does that impact the way I work, the way I communicate, the way I eat, these everyday rhythms, how does, I, how does that impact that? So as we live on mission together, that is a, is, is a, is a way in which we fellowship together. Guys, this, what we're talking about, what John's talking about here, is a unity that he's talking about, this fellowship he's talking about, is something that you and I cannot create. It's something only God can create. Guys, I can, just, I can just tell you, as we work through this money class on Friday and Saturday, the fellowship there around the Word and around finances of all things was a unity and a fellowship that only God could have created. I mean, you guys, you know how money is like, oh, hands off, preacher, Right? Uh, and to sit there and just be able to work through those things together is only something God could have done. So if we know God, we'll have fellowship with the Father on His terms. How do I know that I know God? I fellowship with Him on His terms. And we have fellowship with each other centered around unified beliefs and mission. And lastly, we see in this passage that we will have a joy. How do I know that I know God? We will have a joy that comes when others share in the fellowship of the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. We will have joy. We will have a joy that comes when others share in the fellowship. He says in verse 4, he says, and, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Here's my question. When was the last time you shared doctrine with a brother or sister in Christ? For the purpose of seeing their life changed 
and that brought you great joy. When did that happen last? A long time ago? Can you even remember that it happened last week? You shared doctrine, their life changed, or you shared the gospel, their life changed. I'm not just talking to someone that's going from being lost to being saved, although that's it could be a potential there, but, but particularly within the body, someone that you spoke truth into their lives, a life changed, it brought great joy to your life. This seems to be an indication of one who would know God, as one who's, who experiences joy at the sanctification, the restoration of a brother or a sister. Guys, when you're transformed by the word of life, you will take joy in others being transformed by the word of life. See, John has been transformed by the word of life, and he says, you know what happened? We wanted to do this to complete our joy. And we'd be satisfied, and we'd be joyful in this. Guys, this is joy that comes from from something only the word of life can produce. Guys, you want to know why many of us live without joy? It's because we're too busy building our kingdoms instead of God's kingdom. And you know one of the main ways in which God builds His kingdom? It's through the restoration of His people. You want to experience joy? Be about God's main concern of restoring His people. Speak truth into their lives. Know the truth so that you can speak it into their lives. This is what John's doing. John is about God's business of restoring his people. And he says, this completes my joy. This satisfies my heart. Why? Because that satisfies God's heart, right? So John's desire here is first that they would trust and his eyewitness account, that, that they, would, they would see that validity in what John is saying. John's second desire is that they would complete his joy by fellowshipping with the Father. And how are they going to fellowship with the Father? Through unified doctrine and mission and belief in the incarnation and proclaiming the word together. Now as we conclude... I have this question, are we walking in fellowship with God? Are you walking in fellowship with God? How do I know that I know God? Am I walking in fellowship with Him? How do I know if I'm fellowshipping with Him? What does my prayer life look like? What does my Bible study and intake time look like? What does my fellowship with the body of Christ look like? Second question I'd ask is, what does your doctrine look like? John's concerned about doctrine here. What does your doctrine look like? Think about this this week. What does my doctrine look like? Is it, is it solid? Is it, I think the better thing to ask would be, is it growing? Is it growing? Am I becoming more assured, more convicted in my doctrine? Is my doctrine becoming something that holds me rather than something that I hold? And if you're not a follower of Christ or you don't know if you're a follower of Christ, let me encourage you to get to know the Son of God who, John says, walked this earth. Um, he came to die on the cross. 
that you could have His righteousness and He would take your sin. John would proclaim that to you just as he's proclaiming it to his brothers here. I'm going to encourage you, if you don't know what all that means, if you don't know if you follow Christ, please talk to me, Russ, anyone around this church would do that. Please. So church, let's walk together and fellowship with each other and God while proclaiming the incarnate word of life. And we realize that as we do that, guys, nothing will ever be the same. And God will transform our lives, our hearts. So let's walk together in fellowship, enjoying the word of life together as he works in our hearts together, as we proclaim truth to each other, and we be about the business of God's, and that is restoring his kingdom, proclaiming his truth. So I want to pray for us. Uh, We'll worship for a little bit longer and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for your word this morning. I pray that your people walk away changed, challenged, encouraged. Father, how do I know that I know God? How do I know that I know God? Well, first of all, do I, do I believe in the incarnation of your Son? Secondly, am I walking in fellowship with you? These are key indicators of whether or not I know that I know God. They're not the only indicators, as we'll see in the rest of the book of 1 John, but, or the letter of 1 John, but it certainly is the place to start. If we do not believe in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. If we do not walk in fellowship with God, that's because there has, the provision has not been made in my life to walk in fellowship with God. My faith has not been placed in the Son, Jesus Christ, and His work. So, Father, I just ask you this morning that as we begin to sing, as we worship, Father, that those of us who look at this passage and go, yes, I fellowship with God. I want more. I have weaknesses. I'm failing in these areas. But, yes, I have fellowship with God. Father, I pray that those people would be assured, that they would be encouraged, Father, that your grace would envelop them and and, uh, and lead them on. And Father, I pray that those who are unsure of whether or not they fellowship with you, that Father, that you would make that very clear, high contrast in their life, that they would know for certain where they stand. And Father, if they indeed do not fellowship with you, Father, that they would, they would beg you to open their hearts for that, that they would place their trust in you, that they would repent of their sins, and believe in Jesus Christ. And Father, I love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You guys stand with us.